As I mentioned, we again have had to clear out the sanctuary because we're purple, which used to be my favorite color. I want to read to you a scripture today because this is such a serious time. This is a serious scripture, um, but we also don't want to lose our sense of love and light and humor, which is what keeps us going during this time. This is from the chapter, 25th chapter of Matthew, verses 31 through 46. And what's so interesting about this scripture is that in our Wednesday night class, uh, the question was raised about uh, whether the book of Revelation is about the end times and things like that. And in reality, this is what Jesus shared about the end times. This was Jesus's teaching about what the end times would be. And this is how he described it. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come. You that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in person and visited you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, You did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. Or just as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. This is a tough reading. Here ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, this is an interesting Sunday. It is the Reign of Christ Sunday. How many of you at home knew that, that it's Reign of Christ Sunday? It is the end of the liturgical year. This is actually the end of the Christian year. 
We start the Christian year anew next week on the first Sunday of Advent. We actually start a new lectionary cycle. We could almost say Happy New Year Church next next week. But this Sunday is the end of a church year, and gosh, it has been a church year, has it not? But it is confusing because the Christian liturgical calendar is different than the Gregorian calendar that we live by that still has us stuck in 2020 like glue. So I'm just here to tell you, if you're looking for a little piece of hope right now, at least the Christian calendar ends this week, and it will technically be a new church year. That gives us a little bit of hope. But the pandemic has made this a most unusual and challenging year, especially now that we've literally had to shut down again. Not that we were open that far anyway, but we've had to shut down again because Franklin County has achieved the notorious purple status in the COVID world and in our state. And we are again under a stay-at-home advisory. How many of you are impacted by that stay-at-home advisory? Let us know online if you're impacted by that, if you've had to change your plans. Let us know how many of you have had to change your Thanksgiving plans because of this stay-at-home advisory. I know in my family, we're used to having a lot of people for Thanksgiving, and we're not able to do that this year. It's quite disappointing, but, um, but we'll do it another time. We'll find another time to gather when it's safe to do so. But I loved this um, meme that I found with Bill Murray where it just says from Groundhog Day, the movie, it's like, it says it's quarantine day again. And it feels like that, doesn't it? How many of you have had that experience this week where it's like, oh, we were just getting used to kind of seeing some hope on the horizon? Well, one thing that we've learned from our congregation during this time is that living through a pandemic does strange things to people. Suddenly, even the most cynical of us are responding to Internet chain letters and we're sharing humorous memes. So to keep you all encouraged this week, because this is a tough passage, we're sitting here talking about the final judgment on the last week of the Christian year, and it's kind of a tough scripture. So I thought in order to keep you all encouraged, you might appreciate hearing some of our favorite kind of one-liners and short observations about the pandemic experience. Are you all up for that? Everyone's like, yes, here in the sanctuary. So here are some things we've learned about the pandemic. For example, I used to spin the toilet paper like I was on Wheel of Fortune, and now I spin it like I'm cracking a safe. You get it? I need to practice more social distancing from the refrigerator. We still haven't decided where to go for Christmas, the living room or the kitchen. And I am going to give you a public service announcement, a very important PSA. Every few days, try on your jeans just to make sure they fit, because sweatpants will have you believing that all is well in the kingdom. Well, some of you wrote to me and shared these um, insights into what homeschooling kids has meant. Homeschooling, meaning that the kids are learning remotely or they're on a hybrid system. But either way, they have to do some of their learning at home. And um, one of you sent this, that you said homeschooling is going well. Two students were suspended for fighting and one teacher was fired for drinking on the job. 
There was another one that said, uh, it, they sent it to me, and they said, day five of homeschooling, one of these little monsters called in a bomb threat. And on day six of homeschooling, my child just said, I hope I don't have the same teacher next year. So we thought those were cute. Another thing that we've learned about the pandemic is that we don't think anyone expected that when we changed the clocks recently, actually when we did it back in the spring, that we would go from standard time to the twilight zone, right? It's like we changed the clocks and we went to the twilight zone. All right, two more. You can take these to your friends, your coworkers, and share some good humor. But this is from the neighborhood where I live. They said, this morning I saw a neighbor talking to her cat. It was obvious that she thought her cat understood her. I came into the house and told my dog, and we laughed a lot. All right, and the final one. Today I struck up a conversation with a spider. He seems nice. He's a web designer. All right, corny, right? That one's corny. But hope you get get the get the jokes and some of the good humor. Let us know online because we're looking to keep you encouraged. We want to cover these scripture texts. We want you to have a good worship experience. But we don't want to forget that in the midst of uh, this challenging time, everyone's in a different place. And some of you have said that you really need to be encouraged and uplifted every week because uh, you're trying to make it through and it can be hard. How many of you are missing gathering in person? I know I am. Even our introverts are really missing seeing people in person and um, getting kind of sick of Zoom and um, sick of uh, seeing people on the computer screen, while also grateful for the fact that we can gather in that way. We're getting more used to it. We're getting used to seeing each other in those little boxes. But next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent. It is the start of the Christian New Year, and it is time to really kind of hit the restart button on our spiritual lives during this pandemic. We are starting to enter the winter months. We know the vaccine is coming, but it won't be available for everyone right away, probably not until spring of 2021. And so it's time for us to hit our spiritual restart button because most importantly, when we stay spiritually strong, spiritually centered, spiritually grounded, we will endure through this pandemic and even thrive in ways you may not anticipate. So Jesus gave us a very good scripture, really, when he was talking about the end times in verse 40 of today's reading, when we look about what's the most important thing for us to remember during this pandemic. What's the most important thing for us to remember in life? And he said, when you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters, members of my family, you did it to me. That's the spiritual bottom line for Jesus as he separates the sheep from the goats now and for eternity. Now, if we lived in a rural church community, I could have gotten a sheep and a goat to graze on the front lawn and we could have gone outside and seen all of their differences. But because this is a city church, I have to use words to explain some of the differences between sheep and goats. They are barnyard animals. But it is very interesting that in the only description of the last judgment found in the Gospel of Matthew, there is nothing for the biblical scholars about complex theology, detailed creeds, or religious orthodoxies. Think about that for a minute. 
Jesus didn't leave us with any complicated creeds or theologies. He said the spiritual bottom line is about sheep and goats. And there was only one criterion for eternal life, he said, whether or not you saw Jesus the Christ in the face of the needy, and whether or not you gave of yourself and your resources completely away in love in his name. So more on that in a moment. I think we do a good job of that here at St. John's. And if you're new to us, I'm going to share just a smidgen of some of our programs at the end of the sermon. But first, the barnyard animals. How many of you remember why it's not preferable to be the goat in this story? Who, who in the sanctuary can tell me what the issue is with being a goat in the Bible? Anyone remember? Yes, it's about being the scapegoat. It's about the scapegoat was not a good thing to be. This was um, uh, on the Day of Atonement. You might remember the high priest Aaron would confess the sins of the people of Israel. They would be placed upon the goat who would be symbolically bearing the sins of the people and then be driven out into the wilderness where presumably the scapegoat would be dinner for a hungry lion. Now, being a sheep could be equally dangerous because you could end up on the dinner table after giving up your wool. But that's not the point. The point is it's a metaphor in the Bible for is it better to be the goat or the sheep in Jesus's story. And when talking about the final judgment, Jesus speaks of separating the sheep from the goats and there are winners and losers in this reading. It is an interesting reading because it's not as if everybody's going to be okay. Now, I'm not saying he's trying to scare everybody. I'm not saying that's not what this passage is about. But he is trying to wake us up to say that we can lose at life. And it doesn't matter what circumstance we're in, what kind of life we're in right now, what the pandemic has done to us. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying it's possible to lose at life. If we don't figure out how to love other people, how to have good boundaries amongst each other, and how to live in a way that all can prosper. So, who online can tell me the difference between goats and sheep? This, you didn't know you were going to have a little quiz today. Does anybody online know the difference between goats and sheep? I don't know if anyone's answering online, but I'll give you a few tips. Goats are thinner than sheep, and they have different eating habits. Goats are curious and independent by nature, while sheep prefer to stay with the flock. Goats have hair, but sheep have fleece. A goat's tail stands up, and a sheep's tail hangs down, and the differences go on and on. But as I mentioned, Jesus is using the animals not literally. He's using them metaphorically. He's using them as an analogy for humankind, and he sorts people on the right and on the left in terms of whether they will be welcomed into the kingdom of God at the end times based on whether or not they ministered to Jesus and had compassion to those in need. And I think that's very, very interesting because we are seeing right now the challenge when there's a global pandemic that is impacting people disproportionately, we are seeing the challenges with making sure that everyone is cared for. Does everyone have the emergency relief they need, the housing, the food, the care, the medical treatment? 
We are seeing all kinds of disparities right now play out all across our world, and it should be waking us up about how much more we have to do as we live our faith. And as I mentioned, Jesus was not trying to scare us by by talking about judgment in this way. This wasn't about somehow making it to some mythical place after we're dead. It's about achieving a spiritual status here on earth. It is about loving our neighbor as ourselves, no excuses. And we have to keep working at it. We can't assume someone else will do it. And we can't act like it doesn't matter because it does. And that's why Jesus used dramatic language in this story. So I want to pivot for a minute. This is a hard sermon to do. Number one, I'm back to an empty sanctuary, which is just odd. Um, We miss you all very much. But I want to um, share with you some language that I found from Dan Rather about the pandemic. And I just want to share it with you because I thought he did such a good job. And I know today it may be hard to hang in there and listen to these words. If you can't find the message in the words, I hope you'll find it in the music or in the prayers. But Dan Rather did a really great job of helping us understand what's happening to us as people as this pandemic rages on. How many of you have seen the latest numbers? They're the highest they've been, right? There are over 250,000 people have passed away. And uh, tens of millions of people have been infected. And Dan Rather writes this. He said, the numbers are just breathtaking in the saddest incarnation of the word. He said, the numbers literally leave me coming up short of air, pulse quickened, mind foggy as I contemplate or try to the sheer level of death and loss and families and communities torn apart by the deadly virus. He writes, graphs show spikes, but spikes are tallied in lives wiped off of our fragile earth, lives often vibrant and full just weeks earlier. He goes on and he said, why has this death cult persisted? It is the question of our time, echoing a moment in our history that summons general disbelief. He writes, how can people not see the truth when it is everywhere? How can people not see the truth when it is everywhere? He said, we try for benchmarkers to measure the carnage, so many 9-11s or so much the death toll of Vietnam. He writes, but this seems to have less impact than hurricanes and other acts of God, which kill far, far fewer, but seem to garner more fear and elicit more sympathy. And I thought he made an excellent point here. He says, as an old TV newsman, I can't help but wonder whether a big part of the problem is that this is not a visual form of mass death. On the screen there is just one of the memorials that people are trying to put together. Those are all little tiny flags going down the mall trying to show what it looks like for a quarter of a million Americans to have passed away. It's, it's astounding. And he writes, I can't help but wonder whether a big part of the problem is that this is not a visual form of mass death. 
the images of terrorism or war or the aftermath of ferocious winds or a plane tumbling out of the sky are the kinds of stories that win photojournalists' awards. But how can you take yet another picture of a patient on a ventilator? There are always people on ventilators. There are always people in hospitals dying. Not on this scale. But he writes, human beings have a hard time comprehending scale like this. Our emotions are more resonant with the personal and the small tragedy, which is what Jesus was talking about. We resonate one-on-one-on-one with people. Dan Rather lifted up the nurses' testimonials that we've been seeing in the news. He thought that was a good thing for us to be paying attention to. How many of you have been watching those online, watching the nurses? The nurse who spoke um, poignantly about someone who didn't believe in COVID as the person was dying from it. I mean, it's just crazy, some of what's happening right now. But he writes, it is all too real. It is a finality that defines the ultimate bookend of our lives. And he writes, and this is why I'm including it in today's sermon. He said, I pray that people wake up. Every small act can literally save a life. And that's exactly the kind of waking up that Jesus was talking about in today's scripture. Jesus was talking about being woke, but in a different way, which is to the needs of others and to make sure that we are not missing a life on our path. So Dan Rather writes, I pray that people wake up. Every small act can literally save a life. Vaccines are coming. Science will ride to our rescue. But in the interim... It is our common humanity and empathy that will save the most lives, which is why we have to do a better job of describing the horror of what's happening. We need to all pull together to make sure that the reality of our present doesn't become a final destiny that draws far more into its deadly undertow before this thing is done. So I share that with you because I want to put Jesus's scripture on end times and final judgment into more of a current context for you, which is for many people, they are right now living in end times. They are living in these end times. They are heading into a Thanksgiving with people missing from their table. They are heading into a Thanksgiving like we are as a church with people missing from our community. Jesus was trying to teach us the secret to life. Not that we can magically prolong our life in some way. He was teaching us how to live more fully and more completely by loving, by making sure that we're loving in every encounter with people that we meet. He was teaching us that God wants to save each of us by touching our hearts with love. And God wants to save us by persuading us to care, by not becoming comfortably numb. We can become comfortably numb, right, to these kind of numbers. And we can believe the myth that one person can't make a difference. One person can make a difference. And we need to see each other as human beings connected in this tragedy And through that, we might become a better world. 
I continue to think about the fact that this is a global pandemic. It is so big that we can't help but wonder what are the spiritual lessons that are embedded in this. God kind of wants to save us. You know, I think about how many church meetings we used to have about the building and things like that. And, of course, in the middle of the pandemic, none of that matters. Not that it doesn't matter. But I hope you get my point. That each of you are what matter. Our community matters. People matter. Our health care workers matter. And won't you take some time this week? Won't you take just a little time this week and put in a phone call or send a card to the health care workers in our congregation? They are stretched so thin right now. They remain stoic. They let you know they can handle it. But I have to tell you, they are right in the midst of it. They're doing our work in the hospitals. They see the face of Jesus. In each of the people they tend to that are not going to make it home for Thanksgiving. That is a tough, tough place to be. I tear up because my sister's a nurse. Caring for COVID patients isn't normally what she has to do. But when it gets, when the hospital gets overwhelmed, it's all hands on deck. And I have to tell you, these healthcare professionals, our nurses, our doctors, our respiratory technicians, everyone in the hospitals, they are getting stretched. And they need to know that we haven't forgotten them, that we know that they're doing our work, and that we support them. There's only one criterion for salvation that Jesus shares in today's passage. It's whether or not we saw in the face of Jesus Christ the needy and people who need us And whether or not we give of ourselves and of our church, whether we give it all away in his name. And I am proud of our church for doing such a fantastic job during this pandemic. This has not been an easy time to be church. But we have not lost our sense of humor. We've not lost our sense of connection. We've not lost our sense of purpose. We continue to feed people every single week. And you all continue to stay connected in so many different ways. So that's what I have to share before we head into Advent. As we wrap up this year like no other, this Christian liturgical year like no other, and we reflect on the enormity of this pandemic and yet again where we are today because of what's happening with the numbers. But I also know that we're on the cusp of Thanksgiving. And one of the things that the church can do is ground us every week in the rhythms of our celebrations, in the rhythms of the church year, and reminding you, each of you, that we are here for you, and we will continue to be here for you. So every Thanksgiving, I have been asked to share this story. For those who have been at the church for a while, you know you're going to hear this, and I hope you'll share it with your families But it's especially for our new people who may have never heard this before. And it's especially appropriate for this Thanksgiving. But in the South, where I spent my early childhood years, we had a tradition at Thanksgiving, which was the tradition of the empty chair. And I was surprised to find out when I moved to the North that it was not a Northern tradition. It was a Southern tradition. But every family would include an empty chair at the Thanksgiving table every year. 
And the empty chair stood ready to be filled or to be gazed upon as a reminder that no matter how many were already present, there were all there was always room for one more. Often there was an extra plate of food and extra portions of food set aside just in case an unexpected visitor showed up. It reminds me of the story Mary just shared about the woman who may not be able to feed Spencer at an empty chair, but she's going to take an extra plate to his house. That's what this tradition is about. The tradition of the empty chair is also a fixture at the greatest Jewish Thanksgiving feast of the year, the Passover Seder. An empty chair is placed at the Seder table and the front door is left slightly ajar. It's to symbolically welcome Elijah to join in the feast. So there's so much spiritual history to this particular tradition. But there is an old, well-worn story that illustrates the spirit of the empty chair tradition pretty well. It was about a little boy living in a children's home, an orphanage during the Great Depression. And this is a true story. And before dinner each night for grace, the superintendent of the home usually prayed, Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let this food to us be blessed. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let this food to us be blessed. After this happened several times, the little boy said to the superintendent, You always ask Jesus to come, but he never does. Will he ever come? The superintendent said, if we really want him to, he will. And the little boy thought, well, I really want him to, so I'm going to put the chair next beside me on Thanksgiving so that Jesus will have a place to sit when he comes to visit. A few days later, during the children's Thanksgiving meal, there was a knock at the door. And standing there was an old man poorly clothed, cold, and hungry. The superintendent invited the old man to join the children for the Thanksgiving meal, and he pointed to the empty chair. The man sat, and the little boy gladly passed food to the old man, and the boy even shared from his own plate. Later, the little boy said, Jesus must not have been able to come himself on Thanksgiving So he sent the hungry old man in his place. Exactly. Each one of us is called here at St. John's to welcome Jesus in disguise every day of the week, whether here at our church, in the hospital, on the streets of Columbus, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, on Zoom, wherever we might find Jesus right now. We are called to welcome Jesus in whatever disguise Jesus appears. Just as Jesus commanded, because we are to remember that in every person we meet, we will see the face of Jesus if we look hard enough. Just as Jesus commanded, we are to provide food to the hungry and donations to the largest table to keep feeding people during this pandemic through our to-go meals. Just as Jesus commanded, we are to provide water to the thirsty and care for the migrants and help them stay with their children at the border. Just as Jesus commanded, we are to provide hospitality to the stranger. If through mail and social media and whatever socially distanced ways we have to do that right now. Just as Jesus commanded, we are to provide clothing to the naked and masks to the maskless. 
And sometimes we might have to require that in order to keep everyone safe. Just as Jesus commanded, we are called to provide companionship to those who are sick and imprisoned, especially if during this pandemic they are not able to have people with them to help them on their journey from this life to the next. Just as Jesus commanded, we are called to do all of this with an open heart towards all, no exceptions. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. I have a special prayer to offer as our trio gathers. I have a special prayer to offer from John Bell. It will make me tear up because it is hard not to have you all here in the sanctuary. It's hard not to be planning for you all to be here for Advent or Christmas because Ohio has becoming purple. But I found this prayer, and I hope that you will look it up online. I hope you will put it on your fridge, and I hope that you will recite this in the days and weeks ahead to stay encouraged and hopeful about where we're headed in the rest of 2020 and 2021. The prayer is called, We Will Meet When the Danger is Over. We will meet when the danger is over. We will meet when the sad days are over. We will meet sitting closely together and be glad our tomorrow has come. We will join to give thanks and sing gladly. We will join to break bread and share wine. And the peace that we pass to each other will be more than a casual sign. So let's make with each other a promise that when we've all come through is behind, we will share what we missed and find meaning in the things that once troubled our mind. Until then, may we always discover faith and love to determine our way. That's our hope and God's will and our calling for our lives and for every new day. Thanks be to God. Amen.